actually read it from Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 22. Uh, and next week we'll be picking up um, by reading the first part, 12 to 17, and then 23 to 25. But the focus will be on these four disciples. So will you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Um, just to make sure your phones are on silent. So Matthew, chapter 4, from verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zubalen and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zubalen and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sit in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father. Mending nets, he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Abba, Father, we ask for your blessing on this word. And Lord, to clear our minds this morning on this well-known passage. May we learn from you this morning. May we have a manner word speak to us, Lord, by your Spirit. May this morning, may we be not just challenged, but changed. Lord, clear our minds. Clear our hearts. Examine us. See, Lord, if we've strayed from the path and help us, Lord, to recalibrate. What is it you're saying to your people at this time? Lord, we thank you in advance for what you'll be doing in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Please be seated. Now, as we continue in our series, uh, Make Jesus Known. The last message was entitled, A Triumph Over Temptation. A Triumph Over Temptation. And we learned how Jesus overcome this temptation, or testing of Satan in the wilderness. For the three ifs, we had the three it is written. For example, if you are the Son of God, make these stones bread. Jesus said, For it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
for every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I believe we saw that Jesus clearly demonstrated the power of the word of God to overcome Satan. But today we should be hearing about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 4. For in Luke chapter 4, we glean something. Three things before the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We learn that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was led by the Spirit. And then, after defeating Satan, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit after baptism, verse 1. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, also in verse 1. And then returning in the power of the Spirit to Galilee as he began to teach and preach in verse 14 and 15. So let us get this right. Jesus was filled. Jesus was led. And Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit before ministering unto others. He was empowered. Now, both John and Jesus began their ministries by calling people through repentance back to God. The first thing is repent, turn back to God, for the Lord is calling you. Turn back to God, for the Lord has something for you. He's trying to get your attention. Now, the world has a strong pull on man. The world does. Both fallen man and the double-minded man. The fallen man is in his fallen state, unregenerate, without the Holy Spirit and without God. We know this. However, we have the double-minded man. One who's made a profession of faith in Christ. He may have been baptized. He may attend a church. But is not fully committed to Christ. He's attending church. Maybe even the Bible studies. But in his heart of hearts, he hasn't really left the world. He has, let's say, one foot in both kingdoms. This is called a double-minded man. This man is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Double-minded. You see, the world may feel more comfortable, more familiar, more excited than religion. Because this is maybe the world that you're used to. This world. And Satan offers comfort, ease, and pleasures. If he's going to offer these things to Jesus, you can be sure he's going to offer it to you. Amen? And almost a sense of false peace. And I say it's a false peace because it's not a true peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and only he can offer that. 
Only he has the power to offer true peace. The peace that Christ offers is this. Reconciliation to your maker. I don't believe without this, anyone can have true peace. And there's only one man who can offer that. And his name is only one man. There's no true peace, but there is a false peace. You may want to shave your head and sit in a cave and meditate all day long. And you may have a sense of peace from the world by doing that. But it's a false peace. Satan doesn't mind you doing this. But let me tell you this. If you're to stand up, walk out the cave, and start following after Christ, your troubles will begin. Is this true? All busyness will happen. The phone will start ringing. Friends will start complaining at your decision to follow after Jesus. And then you'll be baptized, and then you'll get more busy, more phone calls, invites from the world. The reason is this. Satan wants you to serve him. And by serving the world, you serve him. So let's hear the words of Christ. He says, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We have a choice. Serve God or the God of this world. But Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Are you double-minded? Have you made that full commitment to Christ? But maybe you haven't made that full commitment to Christ. And you think, well, is this all there is of Christianity? Maybe you've met, I've certainly met several people who say, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work. Anyone met these people? Or I did all of that when I was at school when I was young. They think they understood it, but they never truly left the world and entered into the kingdom. Now, we've been called to be Christians. I believe before God, it's the highest and most glorious calling that anyone can have bestowed upon them. To be called to be a Christian. If Christ has called you to be a Christian, this is a higher calling than the President of the United States, than the Prime Minister. A higher calling is to be called a Christian because you are being called off the Now you may know this this morning. Well, we know this, James. But do you really believe it, truly in your heart? To call yourself a Christian is a high calling and it's a wonderful honor, isn't it? The question this morning is, are you fulfilling your call as a Christian? Or have you been stopped in your tracks? Today's message is entitled, The Upward Call of God. Let's begin. Let's look at verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John 
John the Baptist had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, John was imprisoned for rebuking Herod Antipas for marrying his own brother's wife. His brother was called Philip. He divorced his wife unjustly, which actually caused a war. Okay, you heard of family feuds? This was a family feud. Her father was the king of Petra, and it caused a war. So I hope this woman was worth it. He married Herodias. And John did something, well, he rebuked the king publicly for marrying this woman. And for this, he was shoved in prison. Now, at this time, Jesus made a tactical withdrawal to Galilee. Listen to that carefully. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, made a tactical withdrawal to Galilee. He's down there in the Jordan. He's been baptized. His disciples are baptizing people. He hears of this religious upheaval. The king's not very happy about John. Maybe Jesus is going to continue that ministry. Jesus says, I think I'm out of here. This is not my hill to die on. We have to be wise um, in our decisions that we make. Is this my hill to die on? Jesus said, no, this is not my hill to die on. And he gets out of there very wise. He's called us as Christians to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We need to have godly wisdom. So let's have a look in verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zubalen and Naphtali. Now why is this? Verse 14 gives us the answer. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zubalen and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, the first thing is this. Why did it happen? Well, that it might be fulfilled. We read this so much in Matthew, pointing back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. But also, it's at that time, and there's always a time, a particular time, when God's prophetic word goes into effect. It was at the right time now for this message to go out. And the people who are involved, look, Galilee of the Gentiles. See, Jesus is not just come to be a blessing for the Jews, but Jesus came to be a blessing to all people who put their trust and faith in him. All people. Do you remember earlier I said about the promise that was given to Abraham? In Genesis chapter 22. This is what the Lord says. It says, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through Abraham. People who will walk out in the faith. Will be blessed through Jesus Christ who makes it possible. It says the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And John pointed to that light. And that light had a name. And that name was? That name was Jesus. Now, it's from this point, look. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus came to well, he's here, he's preaching, 
but it's actually proclaiming. This is the verb for a herald, somebody who's actually openly proclaiming now to people. Jesus has begun his ministry, and he begins it by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's completely echoing the ministry of John the Baptist. However, it's different to John because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. You see, when John came, I'm going to give you two translations, and they could be well translated this way, and it's a good way for you to remember. John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. That's easy to translate it like that through the Greek. Then Jesus comes along and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has now come. Both ways are translated this way. You can do it, okay? And it makes sense because when Christ came, he came in the demonstration of authority and the demonstration of power, which we find later on. Remember, John, it says, did no miracles. No miracles. But Christ comes along and starts demonstrating the power and authority. When John was in prison, just like any man, he lost heart. He's out there ministering to people. Now he's slung up in prison, about to have his head chopped off. It's easy to get depressed, okay? And he sends a delegation and says, well, look, are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus says, tell John what I'm doing. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. And John said, this is wonderful. The Messiah is here. You can now have my head on a platter. I ain't bothered. Christ has come. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Now, next week, we'll be looking at this in more depth. We're going to expand what the gospel is. We're going to expand what the kingdom of heaven is. But today, I want our focus to be on the call from Jesus to follow him. And we're going to be looking at these fishermen. So let's have a look in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, Jesus calls Simon, Peter, and Andrew her brothers. And later on in verse 21, we can see he calls James and John, who are also brothers, all fishermen. Now, who were these men? Who were they? We can look back in history, maybe have a, a romantic view, or maybe you've seen pictures of them looking very uh, heavenly with long beards and white robes. But these were just fishermen. They were just normal men. They had responsibilities. They had to pay their taxes. I imagine most of them were married with children. They had concerns for their own children, their education. Do we have enough food? Have we got to pay these taxes to the Romans? They would have been well known in not just their own village, but the village around them. They would have a name, a family name to preserve. They had responsibilities to attend worship, to go to Jerusalem, to be part of society. 
These were normal men. Men who had the same worries and concerns maybe you have. Maybe they also had some inner turmoil about their lives. Maybe doubts about their own faith and practice. There's so much hypocrisy around them, how could they not? With all the religious Pharisees wandering around, telling them how they should be, putting laws and burdens on them. Could they keep up with all the religious demands put on them? Probably not. How does that make one feel? These were normal men. These were sinners. These were men who probably um, were jealous of others. Maybe they had envy in their hearts of others. Maybe they weren't happy with their own lives, with their marriages. Our business is not doing good. And the guy next door is always so blooming loud. Maybe these were men who had problem with lust. Checking out next door neighbor's wife and then feeling the guilt of that and shame afterwards. These were just normal men. Maybe they're thinking, how am I going to get out of this rut of the way I think? Maybe they think that nobody cares about them. Maybe they think they're the only one who thinks that way. And no one seems concerned about my problems. And they're just normal men living normal lives. Just like you and I. But then Jesus came along. And starts to converse with them. How was it the day Jesus spoke to you? That day when you were just living a normal life according to your own understanding? Or maybe the day when you first grasped the gospel? How did you feel? Were you concerned or were you just indifferent and not bothered? Were you worried about the gospel? Did it worry you? Did it expose your heart and show you, wow, I'm a man of unclean lips who dwells in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And this one is speaking to me, the Holy One. Did you feel convicted by the gospel? Were you worried about your position? You are not worried about your position. Some are not worried about their position. Did you think, wow, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. Did, did you think that way? Did you realize that day that you were sick and needed a doctor? Was it that day? I need a savior. When your heart was exposed to the Lord? Or did you consult the world? Now be careful of this because whenever you consult the world, they're always telling you you're doing okay. 
Oh, you're okay. You're just like me, just cracking on like everybody else. You're just normal. Never consult the world about your spiritual state because the world is a liar. The world will tell you what we need is equality, education, house intolerance, and then we'll be happy. They've been saying this for years. Community cohesion, enough housing, enough food, and then we'll be happy. And then you'll be content. All you need is these things. We're going to try and figure out atheists have been doing this for years. Governments have been doing this for years. Oh, well, we just up this and we do it a bit more. Of this, And then things will be all right. They said this after World War II. Oh, we're just going to dismantle things and bombs and everything else. And then we'll be all right. No more war. But it doesn't change the hearts of man, does it? Even if you could do that, everyone signs up. Don't know who's going to do it first. Everyone's going to hand over the weapons. No more war. What about sin? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with arrogance? No, I don't need God. How are you going to deal with people like that who don't abide by the law? How are you going to deal with those people? The world, and it's becoming clearer, is at war with God. The world that you're in is anti-God. Would you agree with that? It's just becoming more apparent, isn't it? That's all. I listened to a Catholic recently on YouTube. He said, well, the Pope is the Antichrist. I thought, well, the Reformers have been saying that for 500 years. But it's just all coming out. The position. That's how it was then. That's how it is now. Look what Jesus says. He says this. Pay attention. Follow me. That's what he says. Follow me. He doesn't say sign up to an institution. He doesn't say go to this particular church or that particular school of thought. He says, follow me. Later on, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you forgiveness. You come to me and I will give you life and life abundantly. But you must come to me. You're not going to get it anywhere else. He says, come to me and I'll make you fishes of men. Join with me and I will give you something to do with your life worthwhile come to me is the rallying cry join with me in the upward call of god he's recruiting sinful people forgiven and into his army he's a recruiter but he's saying this follow me and he wants this from you because what's your job he wants you in this dark, dying world, to be lights for him. Pointing to the maker of heaven and earth. That's your job. That's my job. We're simply pointing to Christ. Well, I've got a problem with this. You need to go to Jesus. Well, I've got a problem with that. But have you tried Jesus? Well, the, the prime minister, but has he tried Jesus? 
We've got to live in such a way that man says, you're not from this world. There's something about you that's strange, different, peculiar. He's a strange guy. She's very strange. I tell her things and she said, I'll pray about that. She's a strange woman. Are you a stranger in this world or are you at home in this world? That's a question. Is it familiar to you? Do you like it? Or do you feel like a pilgrim, a foreigner? I do. They're called an alien. I feel like an alien. Sometimes when I speak to people of this world, they, they say I'm an alien. It's very strange and it's getting stranger. Is this true? Now look, verse 20 tells us, because when Christ comes, when Christ calls, it demands a response. One has to respond, either with indifference or with a dying need to follow this man. It says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. They understood their desperate need to follow Jesus at all costs of their business, of their family, of their inheritance, of their own lives. They desperately needed to get to that man. He's the one who's going to give them peace of mind and security of salvation. We've got to get to that man. How am I going to get there? What's the cost? Who cares? Who cares what the cost is? I must get there. It required an immediate response. Look what James and John, verse 22, it says, And they immediately left their boats and their father and followed him. They understood their spiritual state, that they were dead in trespasses and sins. They understood it. They're simple men. They're not trying to be clever. They're not philosophers. But one thing they do is they know themselves. They know the inner turmoil of their sin and it's not going away. They know in their minds and in their hearts, there's like two cats fighting. How am I going to quieten this down? What can I do to make up for the things that I've already done? Simplicity is a good thing, isn't it? I'm so glad the Lord gave the gospel to fishermen and not to philosophers. They'd still be in Jerusalem now, stroking their beards. What did he mean, follow me? Simplicity is the order of the day. Their actions were corrupted and their minds were corrupted and they knew it. Do you know it? It's more than just an outward action. It's this inner dialogue. What's your spiritual state like today? What is it? Where are you spiritually today? Reverend, we have a high calling. If you call yourself a Christian, this is a high and most glorious calling. We've been called to be Christians, followers of Jesus in a perverse and crooked generation, which is just showing and rearing up its ugly head more and more each week, isn't it? Maybe you think that's all there is. I want to encourage you this morning by simply saying you're wrong. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Now I've amalgamated two translations and I'll read it to you, but you can follow along. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. 
I've got J.B. Phillips' translation along with the New King James translation. I think we can glean from this. Now pay close attention. It's not much longer of a message, but I believe the Lord will speak to you this morning. We open up your ears and your hearts. Paul says this, and it'll be a little bit different, but bear with me. It says, my brothers, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. Nor do I consider myself already perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press towards for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let me unpack this a bit. My brothers, he says, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. Do you consider yourself this morning to arrive spiritually? This is the Apostle Paul. Nor do I consider myself already perfect. He understands his spiritual state. He understands where he is and his flaws. Why is that? Because he's looking into the mirror. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the standard which is required. He may never get there, but he's looking at it. He's reaching for this standard, the standard of Jesus, and he doesn't want to go for anything lower. He wants to go for this upward call. He may not get there, but he's reaching towards it. He's almost got a a Middle Eastern mindset one of the things that you can do to honor your teachers in, in the Middle East is try and surpass them. It brings them honor. When I was taught the sitar in India, I was told this. The greatest honor you can do in India is surpass your teacher. It honors them. I don't think you're going to do it with the Son of Man. But we press on. Amen? Look what he says. He says, but one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind. Now listen to me carefully. God remembers your sins no more as far as the east to the west. We all know this. He's forgiven. He's forgotten. But let me ask you, have you forgotten the sins you've done last week? Or are they tormenting you? What you expose yourself to and myself to and the sins that you commit They follow you around and they plague your brain when you try and pray. They plague you when you try and worship the Lord. I know this. I counsel people. I speak to and deal with people. We must move on in holiness, putting off these things and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. See, the devil will speak to you. Oh, you can sin. Keep on sinning. Jesus will forgive you. He's lovely. He's a teddy bear. Well, he's a liar. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Now listen carefully. In Christ Jesus. In. What does this mean? In Christ means that one believes and receives the person of Christ. That you believe and receive the Holy Spirit. Now you're in Christ. The believer becomes this. The habitation of the Holy Spirit. 
that God is dwelling in you. I've spoke with many Jews on this. They say, well, this is blasphemous. God living in a man. And I always pose him the same question. God in the Shekinah glory dwelt in the temple which was something made by the hands of man. Do you not think he will dwell in something of his own creation, in his own sons, in his own daughters? Jesus said it to be so, therefore it is so. Amen? Let me read this to you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that God himself takes up permanent residence in the body of the believer in Jesus Christ. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If we can just grasp how precious we are in the sight of God, and that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. It's not a philosophy. It should be a reality. That Christ is dwelling in you. The New Testament makes this absolutely clear. And it's paramount that we have the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian walk. Which is expected of us. Jesus has bestowed this wonderful honor. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Paul starts off by saying, do you not know? I would say, whenever you find that phrase in the Bible, do you not know? Most Christians do not know. There's a reason why that's there. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. Do you not know this? You are not your own. You were bought out of price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, the body is, a, is triune as well. Body, soul, and spirit. God has made that up in you. Honor God with your bodies. Something that we grasp here is three things. One is that you are not your own. Let me just say this. You are never your own. You're either owned by the devil or you're owned of the Lord. You're either not saved or saved. And you, the believer, was bought at a price. You know what price that was? What was the price, Dan? His blood. Jesus dying on the cross for you, the fallen man. And I say this often to people. Now, I believe. That Christ, if you're the only one to come to Jesus, he would have seen it worth dying for. If it was just you, Hayden, that would come to Jesus, Christ would die. You believe that? He would have done it. Why? Because he wants communion with you. That's why. This is a wonderful thing. See? To be called a Christian. Wow. Christ dying for me. Christ redeeming me. Christ dwelling in me. Or be the president of the United States of America. Come on, what's more worth it, brethren? But can you see how precious you are and how singled out you are by Satan? That he wants to snatch you back and 
to try and spite Christ. Wants to slow you down. All right, he can't get you, but now he wants to slow you down in your tracks as a Christian. Make you a weak Christian. And he was always going to appeal to your flesh, the body. I'm hungry, I'm tired. Make these stones bread. Bow to me. Do what I say. This is what he's saying. Jesus has redeemed you. Praise God. Your bodies, he says, Paul, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God is dwelling in you. That's the hope of glory. When the dead will rise, we'll rise with him. Reverend, there's a few things I want to say. Paul says this. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord is one with the Lord. That was Christ's desire. That was Christ's prayer in, in John 17, that they may be one as we are one. Leave and cleave. That's a covenant that you leave your family and cleave to your husband or your wife. You leave and cleave. You leave the world and you cleave to Christ. You cling on to him. You have to make a departure, not double-minded. Leave and cleave. God has more for you. Jesus says, follow me. Don't follow the world any longer. Follow me. Give no room to worldly things. Get rid of anything that comes between you and Christ. Let me say that to all of you this morning. Anything that's getting in the way, and you know what it is, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Do it today. I'm going to bin it. I've been so much stuff in the last week and a half. It feels great. Kelsey's been telling me to get rid of it for two years. I decided when it was the right time. I wish I'd done it two years ago. It feels great to get rid of these things. I felt like I desperately needed those boxes. I didn't need them. I had a paw on me, you know, to get rid of things. Anything that's getting in the way. And we'll look at that in a second. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is the last one we're going to look at. That's your cue, Andy. First Corinthians 13, verse 11. The Apostle Paul. Learn from him. Glean from him. Apply it. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. 
What are the childish things that you need to put away? You have a high calling. You have the upward call of God. You're effectively royalty. The Bible says it, that you are a royal priesthood. What is it? Maybe for some of you older men, it's apathy or football. Hours spending watching men kick around the cow's bladder. Hours, football, football. Maybe it's you women. Maybe you gossip too much. Too much gossiping. Maybe you need to get rid of that. I don't know. Maybe you young women need to stop looking at things on the internet. How beautiful can I be? And start looking at Christ and you'll see how beautiful he's going to make you. Maybe for you younger men, maybe you need to put off things, drinking, football, and another thing, pornography. Stop watching pornography. And you'll live better for Christ. That's gone very quiet, isn't it? It's a reality. I minister to people. I know what goes on. Stop it. Stop watching it. Stop giving yourself to Satan. Stop handing yourself in and feeding lust. Stop it. I had to minister to two boys once. One of their parents brought them to me. My first question is, how much porn are you watching? Absolutely shocked. Because it's a reality. It has a grip on people. See, the, the clear grip is this, that you can't speak about it. And how dare a pastor mention that in church? But if it has a stronghold on you, of course I'm going to mention it. I'm not going to do Satan's work by keeping silent, am I? Because I care too much. We have a high calling. Pursue these things. Holiness, purity, righteousness, and faith. Pursue them with all that you have. If you don't have time in the morning, get up earlier. These are the things that you cannot do anything about on the other side of eternity. It has to be done now because you have a high calling. You're precious. I don't know how much more I can emphasize that to the Lord. But he wants you to be faithful, for he is faithful. He wants you to serve him because he's served you and he continues to do it. But he has so much more for every one of us. I've reviewed my own life. Don't think I'm up here preaching at you. I've been reviewing my own life. There's so much more I could be doing. There's so much more I could have done. But I have to leave the things that are behind and press on to what God has for me. To shake off the dust and say, Lord, I'm going to go right now 100%. Help me along the way because I know Satan's going to be on my tail. But I'm going to follow you 100%. Because the world starts to creep in again. Being a Christian two years, three years, five years gets a bit boring, a bit stodgy. And the world you start to entertain and that will soon come flooding in. Is this true? Shake it off and follow after Christ. Turn with me to Colossians 3 and we're finished with this. Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to read 1 to 3, then we're continuing our time of worship. I hope I've been able to communicate this, that you're precious, you have a high calling, 
God wants these things for you, for he loves you. He wants you to shun the world, to flee the world, and come after him. He says, follow me, and I will give you something to do. I will make you fishes of men. Come and work for me. Paul says this, verse 1, Colossians 3. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died when you made that decision to follow after Jesus, to leave and cleave to him. Make that decision again afresh in your minds this morning. That, Lord, you are right. I want us... Let's stand. That, Lord, that you are right. And I want to leave this world, which has a grip on my mind, and be committed to you fully. Lord, where areas in my life, things have crept in, I will throw them out the door and shut the door on them once again. That we may set our minds on things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not the things of the earth. This is all temporal. It's all going to perish. Set your things on things eternal where Christ is sat at the right hand of God. Abba, Father, Lord, I pray this word speaks to your people. We thank you for your inspired word, your eternal word, Lord. That all of us have this upward call of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. Renew us, refresh us this day, Lord, as we commit once again our lives to you. And we invite you in. Lord, may we pursue these things of holiness, righteousness, justice, and faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.